you're listening to the Canadian Streetlight Podcast with Aaron Hale and Mike Ferrier as your hosts. Subscribe to the podcast at CanadianStreetlight.ca. Soli Deo Gloria. All right. Well, if you want to turn with me to the book of Romans and uh, chapter 11. And when I was talking to Ben about going to Romans 11, uh, we thought it would work good as well because we're, we've been in the Old Testament for a, quite a while. He's been in Judges and, and done some sermons from the Psalms. And so this will fit well to uh, kind of help transition, even in our thinking, as he's planning, to, I believe, to go into the New Testament, possibly Luke or one of the Gospels. And so I think it will fit well. We'll be here for the next two weeks, Lord willing. And so we're going to read Romans 11, uh, 1 down to 16. And I'm going to try to, to uh, get this section done this morning. So let's uh, read with me Romans 11, verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Remember, this is Paul writing Romans. Uh, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking? The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Amen. So uh, up until this spring, I had uh, been working in, in property management and maintenance. And as much as I didn't enjoy many aspects of that job, uh, there was something that I really did enjoy and that I do miss, having changed uh, work a little bit. And, and the thing that I miss is the variety of people that I was able to come in contact with throughout Grand Prairie. Because as we managed uh, quite a number of properties, before people go in, you go in and check. And as people have problems, you go and you try to fix the problems for them. And so I got to meet a wide variety of people in Grand Prairie, and one family in particular stands out to me in my mind, and, uh, you know, it was the usual call, my, my toilet's not flushing right, and my tap is dripping, and I have this light bulb that I can't reach that has burnt out, and so I go in, and, uh, you know, I'm working away, and, and it's a young mother with a little boy, and uh, so I just, you know, asked how long they'd been in Grand Prairie, and where they'd come from, and uh, turns out that they have they came from Israel, and, and this was a Jewish family. Their little boy was named Benjamin, uh, quite fitting, and, uh, and they could speak Hebrew. Um, actually, English wasn't their, their first language, and she could speak English, but it was with an accent and a bit broken. 
And so I was, I was very excited. I was like, wow, you know, Israelites, this is amazing. So, you know, she knew all the geography of, around Israel and Jerusalem and, and, and had spent most of her life there. And so I was so eager just to talk with them about the Lord. You know, like surely they know the history of Israel and God's dealings with Israel in the Old Testament and, and, and how that they have such a, a rich uh, heritage. And um, passages like in Romans 3, Paul starts a, a list. He asks the question in, uh, in Romans 3, is there an advantage to being a Jew? You know, if we're now in this new covenant, is there an advantage to being Jewish? And, and Paul starts a list in 3, and he says, to the Jewish people belong the oracles of God. And in 9, he, he picks that back up, that list, and he finishes it, and, and he says uh, that to the Jews belong, um, give me one second here, uh, verse 4, the, they are the Israelites, to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And as a capstone of, of the Jewish nation, Paul says, from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And despite what our children's storybooks like to display, Jesus was not a North American blonde-haired, blue-eyed man. He was a Jewish man. The Messiah came from the nation of Israel. And so all these things are kind of going through my mind as I'm talking to this this young lady. And and then when I asked her, you know, do you go to church? Um, do you have faith in God? And, and her response was the most heartbreaking thing. And she kind of just said without much expression in her voice, she said, well, actually, we're just, we're atheists. I was like, atheists? I was like, you're from Israel. You know, you, you're, and I obviously didn't keep going on. I just kind of stood there dumbfounded because I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And, and she just said, well, we, we just don't really believe there is a God. And we don't have any faith really per se. And so I, you know, just tried to kind of say, well, you know, if you want to come to church, uh, this is where we go. And we'd love to have you guys. And and uh, been praying for them. Um, but what about Israel? And, and as we look at the Apostle Paul, he had this, this burden and, and this anguish in his heart for the people of Israel because he himself was a Jew and was of the nation of Israel. And just to give you a little bit of context to Romans 11, I don't know how I'm supposed to do this on the book of Romans, give you the, a quick overview, um, but I'll do my best. Um, in, in the beginning of Romans, we see Paul, he, he starts with kind of the lostness of man, the, the, the seriousness of sin upon mankind and how God is turning mankind over to their sinfulness and, and the wrath of God that is upon us. Not only the, the Jewish people, but the Gentiles as well are under the wrath of God. And Paul goes on to describe throughout the book of Romans how salvation cannot be by works. It cannot be something that we achieve by our good behavior. It has to be by faith. And that was how the patriarchs were saved, how Abraham was saved. It was by faith, by grace. And, and Paul goes on then in, in Romans 5 and, and 6 and 7 and talking about the effects of this faith. What does it mean to be in Christ? And what does it mean to be born again? And it's almost as though Paul in the book is climbing this great mountain. And, uh, and as he comes to chapter 8, you have some of the most beautiful and profound truths, I think, we can find in the Scripture in regards to what it means to be in Christ. That he says things like in, in 8 verse 1, that there is no condemnation for those in Christ. We, we have been delivered from the wrath of God. He says that we have been given the Spirit of God so that we may cry out, Abba, Father. You know, profound things, glorious things that God has done by His grace. And, and statements that we love to, to hang on our walls, and we should hang on our walls. Uh, verses like Romans eight twenty eight that all things are going to work together for your good, for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Not angels, not powers, nor principalities. That, that God's love is, is so much more powerful than all of the things that might come against the Christian. And he goes on, like, who can bring a charge against God's elect in verse 33? And you almost have this feeling of, of an unstoppable grace, an unstoppable love that we've been brought into by the grace of God. And then as Paul comes to the end of chapter 8, 
it's almost as though he just pauses and his mind shifts to his people Israel. Not, not just those who are spiritually Israel, those who are believing, but ethnic Israel, his fellow Jews, his friends, even though they've chased him around the Middle East trying to kill him because of, of the heresy they believe him to be teaching, he loves them. And then in chapter 9, he says almost the most unspeakable thing, something that, that you know, as I look at my own heart, even in my, looking at my own children, it's like, can I say that about my children? And, and look what Paul says in chapter 9. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are the Israelites. Paul says, if I could, if I could condemn myself to hell, eternally cut off from Christ, then I would take the place of my fellow Jewish people, that they might be saved. And so you get a glimpse of the love and the, 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 the anguish in Paul's heart to see these brothers come to Christ as their Messiah. And Paul raises a problem, and, and we're going to look at three in chapter 11, potential problems with what has happened in this new covenant, the Gentiles being brought into the people of God. First thing he, he sees as a potential problem and probably has been dealt with it numerous times with the Jewish people. Um, what about the word of God? Okay, so Paul, you're telling me that, that, you know, there's a new covenant, that Christ has come, he's fulfilled the law, he is the Messiah, and now anybody from any nation, any tribe can come and be part of the people of God. They can be part of the covenant people of God. That's what you're telling me. And so the question comes up, has the word of God failed regarding Israel? I mean, think about the history of Israel. You have Abraham, whom God took and chose to start this people, takes him outside on a dark, starry night and says, Abraham, look up. Look at the thousands of stars. Your descendants are going to outnumber these stars, Abraham. And the sand on the sea is going to look like a spoonful compared to your descendants, Abraham. And I'm going to bless them. I'm going to love them. They're going to be my people. And now we come thousands of years later, God pursuing Israel, pursuing Israel. We saw it through judges and time and time again, turning away from their God. And God, after the, the covenant with Moses is broken by their disobedience, we see God open a door of salvation to the Gentiles. And Paul's struggling with the problem. Well, has the word of God failed then? And he answers it in two ways, just really quick in Romans 9. I'm not going to, I don't have time to get into this, unfortunately. But um, two ways he answers it. First of all, you see what he does in, in verse 6. For not all who are descendants from Israel belong to Israel. So has God's word failed to Israel? Paul says no, because there's two there's two Israels you can refer to. There is the, the, the Israels who are ethnically Israels, born Israelites, Jewish people. When we think of Israel, we think of Israel in the Middle East. And, and yes, that is Israel. But Paul says, there's also an Israel who is not according to the flesh, a spiritual Israel. And, uh, and so in that sense, God's word has not failed. His word is still true because this Israel is alive and well. Um, it's this, he said in, 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 in chapter 2.28, just flip back real quick in Romans, look how he defines the Jew in, in chapter 2. And so we have to have a category for both of these if we're going to understand what Paul's going to do um, even throughout chapter 11. In, uh, in chapter 2, verse 28, Paul says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision... Um, outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and the circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So if you go with that definition of a Jew, then we are all Jews in that sense. In fact, there is no salvation other than becoming a Jew, becoming an Israelite in the spiritual sense, the people of God, the chosen covenant people of God. And so Paul says, well, has God's word failed in regards to Israel? No, because anyone who is operating by faith is a child of Abraham. We're told in Galatians 3, 7. Um, 
Paul writes, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, because that was the promise, um, and that was how Abraham himself was counted righteous, because he believed God. So, so there's this, this issue, and, and it may be a new thing you know, in your thinking, and it's difficult to create new categories in your thinking, but it's very important that you understand that there is an ethnic Israel, and there is a spiritual Israel who is anyone who comes to Christ and is loving God, is believing in God for their righteousness, then they become part of the spiritual Israel. And so Paul says, no, his word has not failed, because... There is still an Israel who are God's people, those who love him and live by faith. The second thing that Paul defends it with is the purpose of God in election, which is what he spends almost the rest of chapter 9 on. So God's word is not failed because his elect are coming to salvation. They have always come to salvation. They are always going to come to salvation. And therefore, God's word is not failing because his purposes are being carried out perfectly according to his eternal plan. And we're told in in Timothy, Paul writes, that even before the foundations of the earth, God had prepared his elect, and they are going to come to salvation. And Paul uses Several illustrations in chapter 9, he illustrates this election with, with Jacob and Esau, how God chose Jacob um, with Isaac. And he, he, he talks about how when God revealed himself to Moses, he, he, when he gives Moses his name, he says, I am that I am. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. So this is who God is. I am free to save whom I will save, to to bring to salvation whom I will bring to salvation, and I will see to it that it is done. And and rest of chapter 9, Paul's basically dealing with those whom would say, well, I can't love a God like that. I can't love a God who who would choose a people from, from before anyone was made. And Paul basically says, well, you need to shut your mouth because you are a piece of clay and he is the potter. And so let us be careful in how we approach this holy God. And uh, let us be humble in the way we view ourselves before him. So that's how Paul deals with that first problem. And then in, in chapter 10, really quick, he, he shows us how... This message of salvation, even throughout the Old Testament, it was part of God's plan to include the Gentiles, to include all the tribes and nations and one day into this salvation. Um, sometimes we, we have the danger of thinking that Old Testament Israel was plan A, and it, it didn't go like God hoped. So, well, I need another plan. Well, let's maybe try a church. You know, Let's build a church, and that'll be plan B, and maybe that'll work out. A little better. No, that's not how it is. From the beginning, God has orchestrated these things for his glory and to display his grace. And Paul uses in chapter 11, skipping over it lots, but he, um, he quotes Moses and he quotes Isaiah. And uh, he says, the voice has gone out. Oh, sorry, I'm going to jump down a little bit more. Chapter 10, go right down to Just 19 quick. But I asked, did Israel not understand? For Moses says, I will make you jealous of those whom are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. So Moses prophesied the inclusion of the Gentiles, that there will be one day a people who are not Jewish, Jewish, who are not of Israel, will be brought into the people of God, and God is going to make Israel jealous by their inclusion. And Isaiah confirms this as well. In verse 20, he says, Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those whom did not ask for me. And that is Isaiah speaking on behalf of God. So God is saying, One day I will be found by a people who don't look for me. One day I'm going to show myself to a people who don't ask for me. But of Israel, verse 21, he says, All day long, I've held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And so then I want to just spend the rest of our time looking at part of chapter 11. 
And so uh, I realized that was a lot to really squish in. I just felt like I really needed to try and give you a quick overview of what's happened because Romans 9 to 11 is really a section in which Paul is dealing with this issue of Israel and how do we think of Israel? What's going to happen with Israel? What about all the promises? What about all the history that we have seen God doing for thousands of years? Is that just scrapped? You know, is it just cast aside and, oh, well, it was worth a try? idea or is there something more going on and so we're going to look at three questions that that paul tackles in romans 11 this morning and uh and i just pray that that god is uh able to give us understanding so let's just go uh, to the lord in prayer for a moment and we'll look at these three questions <clears throat> heavenly father god the fact that we can come and and call you father that we can we can identify ourselves as as maybe not ethnic Israel, Lord, although some may very well have uh, Jewish heritage, Lord, and that's awesome. And, and yet, Lord, we as, as Gentiles, as pagans uh, by birth, Lord, can call you Father and, and call you God. And Lord, I pray that that just, just boggles our mind this morning, that it just confounds us, Lord, that, that we would be given such a privilege, such an honor. And Lord, that, that we would be humble in the way that we view ourselves. And even as we, we try to understand world events in our day, Lord, the, the chaos and the pain and the fear, God, and especially in the Middle East, we think about those who are suffering. God, how do we understand these things? What are you doing with, with your people Israel? And, and how does this all fit together? Lord, I pray that you would just give us understanding this morning. And Lord, I thank you for men like Paul, who you raised up from Israel, Lord, to bring the gospel to Gentiles, Lord. What a challenge that must have been for Paul to, to turn his back on his people, it, it must have felt, and take the gospel to pagans, to um, those who, who had no part of the history um, that you have began in Abraham, Lord. And, and so I just thank you for each one here this morning and, and for the opportunity to speak. Give me clarity in my words. Lord, keep me from error. I ask and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question we see, and it's what Paul did in Romans 9 as well. He raises a problem, then he goes ahead and answers it. You know, it's kind of like your mom used to do. She ask you a question and don't answer me, you know, and, and I'm going to answer this. And, and it's kind of what Paul's doing. He's like, I'm going to ask you a question, but I, I'm going to answer it myself. Um, and, and he does that in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1. And the first question we see is, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Now, keep in mind, he's talking about ethnic Israel specifically here. So when he's talking about his people, he's talking about Israel, the Jewish nation. And he will, he will clarify in, in throughout this next chapter when he goes from Gentiles to Israelites because he goes back and forth a bit. So has God rejected Israel? What about the Jewish history that God began in Abraham? And I confess, even as I studied this, I, I, was, I kind of felt like, well, Lord, maybe it's not very practical, I mean, not, not very applicable to where we're at in Grand Prairie, Canada. I mean, how, how can history thousands of years old really apply to us today? How can these issues that, that deal primarily with the people of Israel really affect us? Has God rejected his people? If God rejected Israel, if the promises that he made to Abraham, if the promises that he made to Isaac and Jacob, if those are just gone and, and worthless now, then we are in great danger because it brings into question the faithfulness of God. And so why do we think then, if God had rejected his people, that he will not also reject us, you see? And, and, and if we want to have a sense of assurance in who this God is, we're going to have to have an assurance that he's been consistent in what he has said with the people of Israel. And, and Paul, no doubt, is very aware of that. But if God's faithfulness is, is, is flawed in the way that he dealt with Israel, then who, who are we to think that, that us you know, bacon-eating pagans are going to experience the faithfulness of God. And, and so it is a very much important question for us to look at. And, and Paul just answers it right away. Has God rejected his people? By no means. No. I mean, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know that that phrase, by no means, 
is the strongest way Paul can say no in the Greek. I mean, he, 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 and he uses it over and over again, uh, especially in the book of Romans, but it's, it's like never, 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 never God has not rejected his people. And, and Paul's saying it as emphatically as he can, and he's going to give us two reasons why God has not rejected his people. First of all, we see, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul says, I'm a Jew. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, and I'm saved. Christ came to me on the road of, to Damascus and saved me. He gave me a new heart. He, he put his spirit within me. And so, no, God cannot have rejected Israel ultimately because I'm an Israelite, and I'm a Christian. I am in Christ, Paul says. So that is living evidence that God has not ultimately turned his back on the Jewish nation. And secondly, he goes to the Old Testament again, which, which he often does, he says, do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? And, and you remember, Elijah uh, had an amazing a moment of, of God's power displayed on Mar- Mount Carmel. When, when he's standing against all the prophets of Baal, and, and they have their idols, and they're doing their dance and cutting themselves, trying to get their God to do something. And then, you know, Elijah's basically making fun of them, like, you know, why don't you, why don't you cry out a little louder? Maybe you should cut your arm off, and maybe that'll help. And then he prays to his God, uh, to the true God, after they dump water on his altar. And, and he says, Lord, would you consume this fat sacrifice? And fire comes down from heaven and consumes his sacrifice. And Paul, uh, Paul, Elijah is victorious that day against the false prophets of Baal. And, and Yahweh, our God, displays himself as the one true God. And then Elijah runs because of a threat from Jezebel. He just heads off into the mountains. And, and no doubt, you know, you kind of go from this high to a low, and he's feeling like, man, I'm the only one left. God, it's just you and me, you know. And, and Lord, everyone else is, you know, they're chasing the American dream, and everyone else is, is you know, too busy with everything else. It's just me and you, God. And, uh, and God looks at Elijah, and, and he says, Elijah, no, no, you're not the only one. I have 7,000 men whom I've kept for myself who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And Paul says, so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. And so Paul's argument is, no, there's a remnant from Israel. There is, in every generation, there's going to be a remnant of Jewish people who are going to believe upon Christ, who are going to come to the Lord for salvation. And in that sense, God has not rejected his people Israel because there is a remnant, and it is a remnant of grace. And, you know, we, we often think, I mean, I know as a kid, reading about Noah and these guys who did amazing things, you know, David fighting the Goliath. My boys just love that story. They can't get enough of David and Goliath. And we sometimes think that guys like Noah were, were chosen by God because they were good or because they, they were better than their neighbors. But they were chosen by grace. The reason Noah was a righteous man was because the grace of God was upon him. The reason David could stand before a, a giant and, and by faith, kill him with a sling and, and five stones was because the grace of God was upon him. There was nothing in David that was any more extraordinary than his neighbor other than the grace of God. And Paul says it's always been by grace. It's always been according to grace, not works. And so it is today, um, even among Israel's, Israelites, as we meet um, Maybe, you know, even like the, the Jewish family that I met. Who's to say God could not save them? Who's to say that they could not see Christ as their Messiah, as the one who has fulfilled the law? And so that's Paul's first question. Has God rejected his people? No, he says, I am a Jew and I'm saved. And there is a remnant chosen by grace, just as God told Elijah there was. There still is today. So, um, you remember, I think some of you took the gospel revolution and uh, just thinking about this, this thing of grace, how the statement 
that, that we learned in that uh, course, nothing that you can do can make God love you more and nothing you can do can make God love you less. That is the result of a God who works by grace. You see, it's nothing that, that Israel has done to earn the favor of God, and it's nothing that we have done to earn the favor of God. And, and it is this grace of God that is the means by which he saves. And so that's how Paul deals with the first potential problem, as God rejected his people. And the, the, second, um, the second question that we see him bring up in, in verse 7 is, What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. So did Israel, did Israel just utterly fail? You know, they were trying to find uh, this God. They were trying to, to, to have, experience the salvation of this God. So was it just a failure? You know, was it just like, well, they tried and they, they missed and, oh, well, you know, that, that was that? And again, we see Paul's same answer that he'd given us in, in verse 1. Um, sorry, not the same answer. In, in chapter 7, um, this answer is a little different. It's actually no. No, they did not fail to obtain it. And yes, they did fail to obtain it at the same time. Um, Paul says the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And as David says, let their table become a snare and a trap. And so, so Paul says, did Israel fail to obtain the salvation that they were seeking? Uh, Paul says, well, no, they didn't, because the elect obtained it. As, as he emphasized in, in the beginning of chapter 9, those whom God has chosen by grace are going to be saved, and they are being saved. And so in that sense, they have not failed to obtain um, the salvation of God. The remnant is obtaining it and will obtain it. Even today, there may be men and women in Israel coming to Christ by faith, obtaining this salvation that they were seeking. And so Paul says no. But then he also says, but, but those who are not of the elect, because of their sin, because of their hardness of heart, because of the depravity in which we are born, uh, they are hardened. And he, he again goes to the Old Testament to confirm this hardening upon Israel and upon the majority. Um, These are difficult, you know, I don't want to pretend that these are not difficult issues. And um, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment in regards to how do we understand uh, a God who elects and a people who are responsible and accountable, because that is, it is very difficult. Um, and I'll just put that off for a second here. Um, but this idea of hardening, we see this in the ministry of Christ as well. And if you want to flip back with me, you don't have to if you don't want to, but Luke 8 for a moment. And uh, again, one of these perceptions I had as a kid, you know, um, that the parables of Jesus were given to help explain his teaching, that Jesus told parables and stories so that people could better understand what he's talking about. Um, but actually, that's not what Jesus said about his parables. Um, he actually said just the opposite. In, in, in Luke 8, verse 9, we find Christ talking to his disciples, and, and the disciples ask him, you know, what, this par- what does this parable mean, Jesus? And, and uh, he's just uh, been teaching the crowds and always using uh, different parables, and he, he gave them the parable of the sower, the man who, who threw some seed on the stony ground and seed on the good ground and seed on the, the thorny ground. And, and the disciples are like, what are you talking about, man? I, I don't get that at all. And Jesus says in verse 10, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for the others, they are in parables. Uh, but for the others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. And so Jesus himself understood that there is going to be, there is a season of hardening upon specifically Israel because of their unbelief throughout the Mosaic law that God is going to give them 
eyes that do not see, ears that do not hear, because he is angry with their disobedience. He is angry with their rejection of their God. And so this is, this is what's happening to those unless they have been, as Paul said in, in 7, elect by God for salvation. The rest are being hardened. And uh, I, was, I was thinking about concrete. Um, you know, co- concrete's a fascinating product, really. And it has really transformed the way that, that we build uh, structures and foundations. And, and the, one of the amazing things about concrete is after it's poured, uh, in, in normal conditions, it takes about 28 days for it to reach its maximum strength, its maximum hardness. But they have found that if concrete is poured, uh, sometimes they pour underwater for bridge construction and things like that, that they think it may not ever stop hardening in those kind of wet conditions. When, this, when they're immersed in water or it's extremely wet, that concrete will continue to harden and harden and harden. And if you try to you know, take a concrete nail and pound it into a, a 60-year-old house in the basement, uh, it's not going to happen because that, that concrete, as it is even exposed to moisture, will just continue to get harder and harder. And I was thinking about that in light of, of here, the Israelites. Here, the living water comes. And he pours himself out upon a people. And even it may be, look at our neighbors, and as we try to pray for them and talk to them about the Lord or co-workers, and it just seems that the more they're exposed to the gospel, the harder their hearts become. And you wonder, how can that be? And it's, it's almost the same thing that instead of, you know, this concrete can never go back to a liquid form. If you want to remove a, a step or something, the only way you can get that thing out um, is to take a jackhammer and bust it all apart and then take it out piece by piece. And it's a very tedious and painful process. And so it is with the hearts of men. We will, renever, we will never just naturally return back to a soft heart that is alive to God. God has to bring in a jackhammer through his word, break that heart apart, remove it, and put in a new heart of flesh, is what he tells us in Jeremiah, which is the new covenant which we are in. And so, yes, um, there are Jewish people who are being saved, but then there is this season of hardening even though the gospel has come, even though the Messiah has come, the living water has been poured out, they continue to resist and to be hardened to his call for salvation. So has God rejected his people Israel uh, was the first question. And, and he said, no, he did not. And the second question was, well, then has Israel just failed to obtain what they were seeking? And, and Paul says, well, no, if, for those whom were elect by God, he is, he is saving them by grace. But there is a vast majority in our day who are experiencing the hardening of God um, because of the past rebellion against him. And you think about that and, 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 you know, you can raise all kinds of, uh, of problems in your mind. Well, you know, okay, if God's hardening here, if, if God's ultimately the one, he even talks about Pharaoh back in chapter 9. If, if God was the one hardening Pharaoh, how can he hold Pharaoh responsible for his actions? And that's the great dilemma. How can we have a sovereign God who is sovereignly calling and electing and saving by grace, and we have a people who are responsible and accountable for their sin and will justly spend an eternity in hell if they do not repent. How can those two things go together? And the Bible doesn't give us an answer. And I, have, I wrestled with that for years. Lord, I, it can't be. These two things can't exist together. And, and uh, the only thing I can say to encourage you is to keep Seeking the Lord on that, because there does come a time, and I'm not saying I've arrived by any means. I mean, I still wrestle with lots of things. But on that issue, it is as though the Lord, uh, you, you see the sovereign hand of God here. You see the, the, the accountable, uh, responsible uh, nature of man here. And you just say, okay, Lord. Okay, Lord, you are the potter. I am the clay. There are things that I'm not going to understand, but I see them in your word, and therefore I'm going to believe them, and I'm going to talk about them, and just trust you um, that you are good and that you are who you say you are. And so 
Yes, that is a, a very difficult thing. And the Bible gives us both. And uh, I've heard the, the illustration of, of sunlight or light in general. Um, typically, I'm not a scientist, but typically things are made up of either particles or waves. Okay, so you have like dust is obviously particles. Sound travels in waves. Light is both. There are particles and waves. And scientifically, it doesn't really make sense. Normally, it's one or the other, and yet light has both. And so that's kind of a picture of how can God be sovereign and, and, and saving um, according to his grace and election, and how can man be responsible and accountable. And it's just, it's true. <laughs> yes, they're both true. They're both in the Bible. And, um, and we need to just trust him and cling to him all the more when we don't understand. So that was a little bit of a side Let's look at this third question, and then I'll, I'll close it up here. Um, verse 11 of chapter 11. Paul's third question he brings up regarding Israel. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Um, I think another way of, of saying that, is God a cosmic bully? Is God a cosmic bully? Just setting up this scene with Israel, knowing that they can't fulfill the law, knowing that they will never be good enough to, to achieve his righteousness, and, and then, then just going ahead and, and making them you know, do the obstacle course just to watch them fall face down in the mud at the end. Is that what's going on? Um, I think is kind of what Paul is, is asking there in verse 11. Did they stumble just so that they might fall? Is the fall the end of Israel? You know, they, they tried, they couldn't, and they fell. And, well, um, we're moving on. Again, we see Paul's answer. By no means. No. No, no, no. That's not what God is doing. He's not a cosmic bully picking on a people. Rather, Paul says, now, this, you know, <laughs> I pray that, that you hear this because it's just baffling. Um, to see what God is doing in all these things. Rather, so here's what God's doing in this hardening of Israel, in the rejection of Israel right now. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. So that's what was prophesied. We saw um, when Moses, back in Deuteronomy, you know, that there is going to be a people that God is going to save, and in saving them, the people of Israel will look, and they will say, man, you know, that's our God. That's my God. You know, why do they get to be part of the people of God? I want to be part of the people of God. And it's like, okay, well, come. Here's Christ. He's, he's opening his arms to you as well. And, and Paul says that's what God's up to, in part, in our salvation and he says in, in uh, verse 12, and he's going to repeat this like six times in the next, in, towards the end of the chapter, um, this idea. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, so that's, that's us uh, by and large. Um, Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? So, you know, this should just cause us to, to fall on our face before God and say, God, who am I that you would save me? Who am I that you would even offer life to me? I mean, I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. I, I, I'm from Worsley, Alberta, you know, and it's like, what's that? I don't know. And, uh, and yet the God of Israel, the God of Abraham offers life to me. He offers life to you. This is unspeakable. And Paul says, not only that, it is, in a sense, at Israel's expense because their stumbling, their, their failure, Paul says, as they, as they cannot see the Messiah, as they fail to, to recognize him as, as Messiah, the door closes to them right now by and large. By and large, there's a hardening, Paul says. But God then turns 
and opens the door to the streets and the homeless people and those with no heritage, those with no um, you know, history with God, no connection physically to Abraham, he says, why don't you guys come in? Why don't you guys come in and, and you can be part of my family? Why don't you experience what it's like to, to sit here at my table and to eat with me? Let me put my spirit within you and you can cry out to me, non-Jew. You can cry out to me, Abba, Father. That should take our breath away. Because we don't deserve that. And, you know, I think Paul could have stopped there and been like, well, okay, so Israel, national Israel didn't find Christ. But there's a spiritual Israel, which is true. Those who are living by faith are Jews spiritually. Those who've had the circumcision of the heart, what Paul described there in chapter 2, Christians are, in a sense, Jewish then. And he could have said, well, that, that settles it, right? No more problem. They're still in Israel. God's word is still true. God has not rejected his people because we are now Israel. But Paul doesn't leave it there. It's though he, he's still thinking, what about Israel? What about my brothers? And God doesn't leave it there because, and I, we're going to save that for next week, but he gives us a glimpse here because after talking about the riches that have now been given to the Gentile world, he references their full inclusion. He references, uh, you know, in verse 12 there, and he says, if their rejection in verse 15 means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean? And so I really believe, and I know this is where different uh, teachers can kind of go down different paths, what's going to happen with Israel in the last days, and how's that all going to work out. I certainly don't know all the details, but I really do believe, as and Paul is saying here, that right now there is a hardening upon Israel. But there is coming a day when Israelite men and women, by and large, not just a handful here and a handful there, by and large, will see their Messiah for who he is. And there will be revival in Israel. And we're going to see more of that in, in the end of, of chapter 11. And I'm just going to close with that and give you a few points of uh, just some application. Although I, I trust that that's been happening already. Um, one more example quick from the Gospels. And just as a way of application. And you may remember this story. It's kind of a, uh, it should, it, it, it would bother, you know, especially us who are so sensitive to the, the needs of others and the way people feel. And we don't want to say anything politically incorrect because somebody might get upset and we don't want to do that. Uh, look at what Jesus says in, in Matthew fifteen twenty one, And, uh, Jesus is teaching, and he goes to the district of Tyre and Sidon, non-Jewish areas. And remember, in that day, uh, there was no doubt. If you were not Jewish, you were defiled. And, I mean, you don't even go near a non-Jewish person because then you become defiled, and you have to bathe like 30 times and go through sacrifices and ceremonies just to make yourself clean so you can go back into the temple of God. And so... So here comes a Canaanite woman, non-Jewish, defiled, descendant of, of uh, you know, the gods um, after, after Noah, I believe, was a descendant of Canaan, came, was um, Shem, I think. I'll have to double check. When God cursed him because he looked upon his father's nakedness. And, that's going, and then this is the descendants, the Canaanites. You know, they're cursed people, basically defiled, definitely not Jewish. And she comes with a problem, and her daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, she says. And she comes to Christ, and she's wanting help. She's wanting relief because she's heard what he can do. And, her, and the disciples of Jesus are like, Jesus, get her away from here before she defiles us all. You know, she, she's dirty. And, um, and Jesus says to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, so she's persistent. She says, I know, I know you are the, the king of the Jews. You are a Jewish Messiah. Um, but Lord, help me. 
My daughter is sick. She's, she's oppressed by a demon. I need help. And he answers her, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, if you tried saying that, I mean, she, he essentially calls her a dog, you know. Like, you think I'm going to take what is rightly Israel's and I'm going to give it to you, Gentile? And, and he's testing her. He's not just being malicious here because see what happens. She says, yes, Lord, uh, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And you see her heart. You see her faith. It's like, Lord, I know who you are. And I know that I have no right to come here and ask for your help because I'm not Jewish. And she says, but as a dog, I would love just to eat some crumbs off the floor at your feet. And Jesus is impressed. And he's like, wow, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And we want to associate ourselves with the disciples in that story, but guess who we are? Unless you have a Jewish heritage, you are the woman. And, and so I pray as we look at these things today that you have a sense of just humility before God. God, thank you. Thank you for letting me come and be part of your people. And I pray that, that as you think about Israel, um, you know, I think sometimes we, we have the danger of just giving unwarranted support to Israel because they're Israel. It's like they're Israelites. They can't do anything wrong, right, because they're the people of God. Paul says, no, they need the gospel. We should pray for God to raise up missionaries to go to Israel to teach them about Christ as the Messiah. And so let us be careful that we have a biblical understanding of how to pray for things in the Middle East and how to pray for um, the nation of Israel in our day. And last point of application, and I'm done, is um, maybe you're like me, and some days you just wonder, like, Lord, uh, is this it? You know, am I just going to live my life, and I'm going to work and eat and, and hopefully raise some children that, that love you, and I'm going to die? Is that it? You know, and you just have this kind of sometimes you struggle with a sense of purpose in your life. And um, I challenge you to find purpose here in these things because we are part of a story that has been going on for thousands of years. And God looks at us, non-Jews, and he says, come, come and be part of my family. And he says, and one more thing, I want you to help. I want you to help take the gospel to China. Take the gospel to the Philippines. Take the gospel to Worsley, Alberta. Because they need to hear. And there's a season right now when the door is open to the Gentiles. And we've been asked to be part of that. And so I plead with you, if you struggle with purpose you know, in your life, then say, Lord, use me. Show me where I can plug in. Show me how I can strengthen this body here at Cormdale. How we can be part of globally taking your gospel, not only to Grand Prairie, but across the world. And uh, that's something worth living for. That's something worth dying for is countless men and women have gone before us and laid down their lives for this very thing. Thank you for tuning in to the Canadian Streetlight Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or perhaps a podcast suggestion or topic, visit us online at canadianstreetlight.ca. Soli Deo Gloria.